welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. Welcome back to The Motivated Mind, a top 100 health podcast, thanks to each of you. This is episode 252, and I'm your host, Scott Lynch. Thanks so much for listening. If I've brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe or follow button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you want to hear more of. And please be sure to share the podcast. You can learn all the skills in the world, math, business, writing, but the right mindset will always trump them all. It's the great unlock to all other skills. Success and happiness come down to one single component, and that's mindset. In order to achieve our goals in life, our mindset needs to match those aspirations. And this is exactly what I pack into my free weekly newsletter. As a free subscriber, you receive the Mastering Your Mindset newsletter once per week, where I break down step-by-step processes to master your mindset and practical growth tips. If you haven't subscribed, but you enjoy the content I drop on this podcast, then you're missing out. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe for free to the Mastering Your Mindset newsletter. Today we have another special guest that joins the pod, Emilio Diaz Barroso. He grew up as the heir of one of Mexico's greatest family fortunes. You'd think a life without struggle, right? Wrong. By the age of 22, he was running the family business. Emilio anguished over how to leverage his family's wealth and influence for the good of humanity. The daily turmoil led Emilio down a path of awakening and consciousness. Emilio was a lifelong seeker, seeking recognition, achievement, love, success, and finally, in the ultimate carrot, enlightenment. In his pursuit of enlightenment, he was forced to face what all the seeking had been trying to avoid, his own sense of unworthiness. Defeated at the game of avoiding and humbled by the realization of his true nature, he is now dedicated to alleviating suffering in the world. Emilio is a father to three incredible teachers. He is the CEO of Nala Investments, sits on the board of over a dozen companies, and is the co-founder of Bold Capital Partners. He is also an active philanthropist, investor, and mentor. Emilio and I dive into hiding our insecurities and being perceived as having it all together, unworthiness, chasing fillers in our lives, telling ourselves a story rather than experiencing what's happening, recognizing when our strategies are no longer working, taking responsibility for how we show up, and finally, questioning our thinking. I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone 
or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And then I so appreciate you being so conscious and intentional about your parenting and, and not passing on that baggage. Because, And the reality is it's very helpful to normalize that we will pass baggage, no matter how much we try. And whether that baggage is baggage that is new baggage or old baggage, it's um, part of what I've come to realize around my children is that I am not here to be the perfect dad. I'm actually to be the kind of dad that shows what it's like to mess up and take responsibility for my mess ups. Because then I set it up like, oh, if I'm perfect and I never mess up or I hide my mess ups, then it sets them up for them to think that they need to be perfect. Yeah. I think normalizing our humanity is such a gift that we often hide from people. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that not certainly not blaming social media because human behavior has been human behavior since the dawn of existence, right? It's just a platform that is bringing a magnifying glass to the behavior that is of these, you know, showing the perfect life or the highlight reels as we've, we've been, we've heard it before. And it's so easy to get caught in that world of one, comparing ourselves to other people. Number two, thinking that that's the norm right? Like that's the bar and the standard. And it sets this extremely and excruciating, unrealistic expectation in society about that making mistakes is, is a bad thing. And it's, these are data points that we get to collect through life. And if we don't have those data points through making those mistakes, then how do we ever grow or gain knowledge or evolve? We don't. And so I need to do more of it myself, but putting more of these these failures or these trips in lives because they're they're ultimately what makes us a better the better version of ourselves for tomorrow. And without that formula, it's really challenging to ever evolve into a better version of who you were yesterday. Absolutely, I I love that, and it, it really is about giving permission. Hmm. I was I was as I was sharing earlier so proficient at hiding my insecurities. So good at being perceived as having it all together. And I checked all the boxes and it was it was a function of how special was I perceived by everyone around me because deep down I would have never accepted this or even thought of it as a possibility because I thought I was super successful and super I had great self-confidence and but deep down I was running away from from this sense of unworthiness. Mm. Running away from this desire to to have value because I thought if I didn't have value, then deep down I was going to be abandoned and I would end up alone. And was, but that was hidden so deeply. And I think 
a lot of the people that I mentor today, which are very high performing, successful entrepreneurs, deep down when they slow down enough, they postpone their coping mechanisms. They come up against this sense of unworthiness of I am not good enough. And it is that comparison mind, the one that's always creating this perfect avatar, whether it's idealized or projected into just a, a limited perception that we have on some external figure that says, oh no, you're, you're messed up in all these different ways. You're, you're coming up short. And for you, obviously, you know, we always hear that. What was that epiphany? It's not a, like one moment, it's many moments, right? But if you were to kind of collect this all in a basket of this experience or this, this piece that brought you this enlightenment to say, oh wow, there's something more here for you. What was that realization, you know, to say that there is this emptiness and that, man, I am showing it on the outside. Like I have everything together, but when I do slow down, do I really, is there more here? Do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel happy? Like really happy? And I, I think a lot of us lie to ourselves every single day about that. And and I love that you brought up that point, but what, what was that piece? If you could put it in a basket that, that kind of brought you to that, that, Oh, moment. Yeah. You know, I, I was really good at running in the sense of towards goals. I was, I was very type A and wherever I was directed, I would go and achieve it. And in any realm, really, it was a very uh, unsustainable fuel because it would burn out, but I was fast. And the gift of that was that I got a lot of things that I thought were going to give me this ending satisfaction. And as we've all experienced, the, the satisfaction faded so quickly. But I convinced myself immediately that it was okay, this next thing. And it's interesting, when I, when I had a lot of material success and I was perceived by my peers as incredibly successful and I got all these accolades, and which I thought was going to be like the end all of me, all of everything, I always could find something else to go after. But, but when that was sort of seen through, then it shifted to, oh, now it's about more balance in my life. And there's, oh, now it's about more consciousness and spirituality. And now it's about more... And then it really dawned on me. And it, it almost felt like an addict that is convinced that the next hit is going to do it. And I just saw, in, I was in deep, I was doing a lot of meditation retreats and I was in a probably like a nine day silent meditation retreat and maybe like day seven or so. I just felt this confrontation with this empirical evidence. I was like, shit, it's never been enough mm. and it's never going to be enough. And it was this deep deflation, like, Almost like I, I equate it to being playing this this game in on a video game controller and just throwing the controller, just like in frustration of like I'm never gonna get it. And somehow I was able to stay in that I'm never gonna get it long enough for it to feel incredibly calm and still, as opposed to the anxiety that I thought and the stress that I thought it was gonna arise. Yeah, it's that I, I love that you use this analogy of like a hit of drug, uh, uh, some sort of drug, right? That it's never, it's, it's this treadmill too that we get on and we're like, yeah, but just one more thing. And you know, the next house or, or this car or this, this ideal relationship or whatever we've pictured in our head as this, this void or this filler. But I almost think it's kind of like body work on a, on an older car or something like that. Like 
okay, well, you could fill it in with putty, but eventually when you go to work on the car, the putty's going to chip or it's going to have a big lull in it rather than actually addressing the body itself. And it's very much one of those things that through time, I feel those chasers, these, these fillers, they don't really equate to, to anything except put you on a treadmill that never runs out of batteries and never there is no finish line or end to it and and that can be exhausting it it really is and it, and it's it, there's a zen con con are these sort of images that sometimes uh, are used in zen uh, tradition to elicit thoughtfulness or inquiry and it's this figure stick with with a pole on their head and in the front is the the price and in the back is the bag of shit and oftentimes we understand that getting the carrot or the price won't fulfill everything that we think it will fulfill, but we don't acknowledge that we also think that outrunning the bag of shit will keep us safe and okay. And we think that the worst thing that can happen, just like the best thing that can happen is getting the price. The worst thing that can happen is getting hit by the bag of shit. But how often are we hit by bags of shit and it's not as bad as we thought it was, right? Or we overcome it or whatever it is. So the freedom for me was in, the willingness to let that bag of shit hit me. And the bag of shit, in many ways, externally was being seen as not valuable, being seen as stupid, being embarrassed, sort of feeling jealousy, for example, or feeling uh, selfishness, all these things that I, again, I was so invested in outrunning and the freedom from feeling, like to actually feel them, then the treadmill became less survival. Then I could choose to run and go after what I wanted, but not because I thought my life depended on it. And it's a very different fuel that comes online. It's one that's almost like self-replenishing and creative, as opposed to one that's short breath and you know must keep going. Yeah. Well, it, it's almost like you know you've I, I'm sure you've you've had this before. You're driving, and all of a sudden you have no clue or don't remember you know the last mile or something. You know, you just had this out of body moment. You were not present, weren't aware of anything going on. And, or, you know, you see people walking down the sidewalk and, you know, they're on their phone and they couldn't tell you at all what they, what they observed. And there's something that I'll, I'll do with my fiance when we'll go out to just anywhere in public. I'll comment out loud what I'm seeing or ask her, did she see that? Not because I, I want to challenge her, but because I want to challenge myself and bring it out loud, out of mind, kind of out of body, that this is what I'm witnessing. And it's just so fascinating to me that when we're speeding through life and we're not observing all of these little things, yes, it becomes a, a race to outrun just living and being here in itself rather than admiring it. So I, I lived up in the White Mountains for two years. And one of the most amazing things was just hiking and going kayaking and mountain biking and doing all of these different things. And there was one thing that I got into, which was uh, riding my motorcycle through the White Mountains. And I would try to explain riding a motorcycle to someone that's never been on a motorcycle before. And I would tell them that no matter how crazy your life is, how busy or how stressful it is, when you're on a motorcycle, given its inherent danger, because you have no structure around you, you need to be extremely observant of your surroundings, whether it be a squirrel, some leaves on the road, maybe paint chipping on the road paint, all of these things that your mind doesn't really have time or want to 
dedicate the energy into those other outlets because this is the most important thing to protect itself. And in doing so, it was just amazing to just be present and, and there. And it's something that I, I continue to try to work on as much as possible, but that's a, a lifelong practice as I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah, I, I love that you bring up the motorcycle or the hiking. One of the things I, I speak of and I mentioned in the book is this, we've created an intermediary between ourselves and life. And we've got this layer that is commenting on everything that's going on. And it's saying, I like this. I don't like this. This is okay. This is not okay. I want more of this. I want less of this. You know, I, I like this person or environment or whatever it is. And those states of what some people call your zone or the flow or being present even, to me, are those moments when this layer gets really thin. And the narration and the commentary over what's happening becomes less prevalent. And we are in a more direct relationship with life as opposed to having this middleman in place. And the moment that we try to be present, that's why it's so difficult. Because trying to be present is more of this middleman. Is more of this putting conditions in life and saying, oh no, life shouldn't be like this. Life should be like that. It should be me feeling more present. What I, what I invite people to do is to, and it's almost, and oftentimes people tell me, okay, I can be present if I'm in a monastery or if I'm in a meditation retreat or if I'm, how do I do it in the middle of my crazy life of, you know, everything. And that's part of the reason why I wrote the book, because a lot of the books that I was re reading about enlightenment and awareness were written by people who lived very different lives than the kind of life that I lived, right? They weren't in the throes of building businesses and running having employees and paying taxes and having children and wives. And, and oftentimes the metaphor I give is, is hiking. And I said, imagine if you were hiking and every step that you were taking on this hike, you overthought of it, you analyzed it and you were deciding, am I going right here? Am I going left? Here? Should I, what about that rock? Should I step on that twig? Should I? And we think it's so natural when we hike. And yet in our business mindset or in any other mindset, we think, well, If we weren't overthinking everything, we'd get lost and nothing would happen. But we somehow, in our hikes, we find ourselves going in the right direction, getting to the top of the hill, whatever that is, enjoying the journey, and we often you know, find ourselves pretty safe. And I think it is a function of this, we just got so used to telling a story about what's happening as opposed to directly experiencing what's happening. And in those motorcycle moments, you don't have time to tell a story. You're probably one with the bike and with the environment in those moments. Yeah, some of my most honestly peaceful moments, absolutely. And how do we, you know, you touched upon a, a really good point. A lot of the books, a lot of the, the material out there coming from people that, you know, may not be in the business world, have a career, have a family, you know, owner of a, of a company, you know, an entrepreneur, so on and so forth. How in these moments of, let's call it chaos, for lack of a better term here, do we recognize and identify these moments where we are kind of slipping away? And then, you know, what are some tangible material to, to reel us back in? I think that the first thing is to notice it, right? And if you become aware of it, rather than judging yourself for having been lost for the last mile that you were driving and not knowing how you got to where you got, 
it's 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 being in gratitude for the awareness of it. That's really important because then it reinforces the awareness. See, if you if you reinforce catching yourself with a negative judgment, oh, I've been so lost. What was I thinking? Blah 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 blah. Then it's almost like you're telling your system, oh, let's not catch ourselves because we get we get reprimanded when we catch ourselves. But if you shift it towards gratitude, then this awareness becomes a more natural just reaction to being lost, which is which I think is the first step. And then anything that we place on top of the moment is more layered. So the idea of, oh, we need to do something different now so that we are present, which is the way that I was trained to get present, is, is, a, is almost like a, a trick in and of itself. So the invitation for me is to ask, what is real right now? In the moment that I catch, what is, what is my direct experience of the moment right now? And using the body is incredibly helpful because the body is very much in the moment. The mind is always in the past or in the future, but the body is right here. It's like, how does my body feel right now? And if it's chaotic, how does chaos feel in my body right now? And at first, it's almost like, you know, when you are when you first start working out and you're young and you're like, somebody flexes a bicep and you're like, I don't even know how to flex a bicep. <laughs> I don't even know if I have a bicep. And then, But then eventually you, you get more familiar with those muscles. And the muscle of tuning into the body was one that at first was very unfamiliar, but now is very, just, there's a great intimacy for me. So like in this moment, I feel energy in my belly. I feel the back of my back just resting against the chair and the soles of my feet on the ground. And and immediately just in noticing, almost like those walks that you do with your fiance when you're naming things, just in noticing what my direct experience of the moment is, I'm immediately present. I'm not creating a story about, what's happening i'm feeling it. and if and if the feeling is thoughts because often most of us at least i was trained to think more than to feel then it's like okay what does thinking feel like in this moment what is being stressed out what is being out of breath what is and oftentimes it's pressure in my head oftentimes it's like i feel like i need to go quicker what does that feel like so really using the body and not imposing ideas on what the moment should look like. If we are chaotic, feeling the chaos as opposed to saying we shouldn't be chaotic. It's it's so easy when chaos strikes back to your kind of layer analogy to slap on more layers and more thinking. And then all of a sudden, everything becomes under this massive weighted blanket of almost debilitating in a way for us to even it's it's this almost contradiction or irony if you will right like oh well the idea is to get through to the solution to get this thing done but then i get paralyzed for overthinking it and then it becomes heavier and then i get entrapped in all of this stuff and when you actually think through it and, and vocalize it you're like oh my god it's just exhausting even talking about it let alone experiencing it it's insane i equate it to a baby looking at a basin and then sort of having a, a picture at the bottom of a basin and then seeing the basin and getting excited about the basin and then trying to move the water around <laughs> slushing it to get to the basin, to the, to the picture. Yeah. And no matter how many layers we have, no matter how weighted that blanket is, it takes a second. How does that weight feel like right now? No matter how many layers. We don't need to peel off layer by layer. It's immediately, what's the experience of that? What's Because that's being in the now. Like What is... What is life like right this moment? You had mentioned earlier about going on these silent retreats. 
know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. That the, the classic saying, but. Do you think that would be necessary for for most people? And because you just gave a, a perfect example of a tool that we all can deploy today, right? In our own homes, in our own office, in our bedroom, wherever, going on a walk through the woods. Do you think one, it's 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 necessary? Number two, are there any other tools that you have found on top of this practice? Because let's be honest, right? It's a it's a constant up until the last day thing that we are are deploying are there any other practical tools that you have found that this has been a game changer for me so many uh, so many uh a few that come to mind and and just sort of back to the first question i'll address the second question do i think the retreats are necessary i think we all have to come to a place where we recognize our old strategies are not working anymore and for me that was silence because it forced me to face all the stuff that I was unwilling to face with the distractions and the noise. For some people, it's alcohol. <laughs> you know, For some people, it's, it's a really difficult life event. And for some people, they have the grace to just have the awareness to realize, hey, there's a different opportunity. And that's part of what I'm intending on sharing. It's like, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to go and hit rock bottom to, to explore and get curious. And yet some of us will have to will have our runs to run. As far as the tools, so many. The, the, the primary one for me is always taking full responsibility for how we're showing up in life. As long as we are postponing how we show up until something changes, we're giving away our power. Until our partner acts differently, until our business, until the economy, until our children, until the government, whatever it is. So it's like, how do I take full responsibility for how I want to show up in the world. And sort of tying it back to our previous exercises, like how does it feel when what I want to happen happens? How will that feel in my body? When I am incredibly successful, what will be the experience of that in my body? Because I can actually embody anything that I think of, right? Like if it's the classic example of the juicy lemon that you open up and you squeeze in your mouth and you feel the juices, you know, we all salivate even just imagining it. And my experience is that we can go and create amazing things, but we can actually do it from a place where we're already embodying what we think it'll get us. And oftentimes, if you inquire deeply enough, most goals deep down will get people rest. Once I get what I think, after you get to the, the house and the thing and the blah, 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 then I'll be able to rest. Then I'll be free. Then I'll, Whatever the equivalent is, some version of that, I think if we can, if we can, but somehow we weren't, we were trained to think that you can't have your cake before you earn it. You can't have this experience until you've suffered long enough to then say, okay, now I can have it. It's like retirement will be wonderful, but let's just work our way up and sort of sacrifice all this until we then we can have an enjoyable life. But we can actually operate from this place where, um, where we can be content and be incredibly productive and creative. And one more, one more thing I want to share as a tool, question your thinking, question anything that you believe to be true, particularly those things that are causing you stress. Because when we, when we become righteous in any thought pattern, essentially we're creating our own reality around it. It's very disempowering. It's leaning into this curiosity piece. So my, my VP of finance, she has four kiddos, two girls, two boys. And she said something that was so 
because I, I I've been inquiring about just her experience as a as a mother, and you know she said one of the things that I really realized is that when I was a kid, I thought my parents had it all figured out. Like they knew everything. They had their shit together. Boy, was I so wrong. So wrong. And, you know, the point that I'm trying to pull in here with what, what you had just shared is that how funny or interesting is it that we make so many assumptions on life as to how something works or why it is this way. And something that I've said before is something that I really appreciate about children is they're so curious about everything. You know, why is the sky blue? Why does the water move? What's Why are the trees doing this? They just question everything. And at some point in our evolution or as we age, that curiosity starts to evaporate or just dissipate. And I'm really curious from your perspective why you think that that evaporates so much and and we lose that piece of curiosity. And it's almost like we have this off-road vehicle and there's these train tracks. And then at some point, not perfect for everybody, I understand, but we pop onto this track and then we just follow the track and whichever way the, the railway goes, that's where we go. And we don't question why we're going this way or why we're doing it in this time. And to your point around retirement, like hop aboard, you know, this is what everybody says and how everybody does it. But it's like someone's looking around on the train going, wait a minute, but is there a better way or a different way or a more fulfilling way than, than that way? And I think that's starting to finally become more of a conversation in society, uh, certainly a lot more than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of the people that I that I mentor are disruptors, right? They're disrupting very large industries. And I'm like, when's the last time you started looking at yourself as something that needed to be disrupted? And good question. It's a, it's a harder it's a harder journey oftentimes, right? Because it, it requires a different set of skills than some of those that we were sort of trained to 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 use in, in the world. I think the ego, its core intention is control. It, it's its deeper intention is safety. And the way that it knows how to do that is through control. And the way that it achieves keeping us in those rails is through fear. So it concocts all these narratives, which keep us in a rail, in a box, whatever you want to call it, and make it really scary to step outside of that. And somehow we feel comfortable in the known, even if it's uncomfortable. And it knows how to do it. And that's why we're talking about the sort of hitting rock bottom, right? It knows how to do it just enough, kind of like a tyrant of a, of a country that knows how much to extract without spilling over and it threads that balance of doesn't want to revolt so it just gives enough and it's almost like this tyrant that is running our I will I call it our operating system that just infuses enough enough fear enough mechanisms in place to keep us in this zone of not challenging the status quo not challenging our own assumptions the way that we run things the way that we operate the way that we think I'll give you an example uh, if, if I may just around questioning a deep thought my boy, when he was around four or five, he used to be so defiant. And it was so, I was at the height of my spiritual journey, feeling so conscious and peaceful. And Zen never would reflect, oh, wow, you are so Zen and you're so peaceful and nothing bothers you. And I would just lose it with him. And he would just, I would tell him, he would hit his sister. And I would say, stop hitting your sister. And he'd say, no, and you can't make me. 
And everything in me just bubbled up and it was like this rage machine. It really was against character for me. What I came to realize is that I was somehow unconsciously saying, you don't understand how good you have it. If I had done that in my upbringing, I would have been destroyed. It's just a tenth of what you're doing. I would have been destroyed. What I tapped into was I had this strong belief that my son should listen to me. And I was very invested in this belief. And any dad that you ask, hey, should your son listen to you? The first response is like, yeah, of course. I mean, he's five years old. He should listen to me, especially if he's hitting his sister. So I had all this idea. And that, that's sort of the, the very egoic righteousness, right? And that's how it justifies his beliefs. And then what I, what I started realizing was like, wow, my voice at his age got squashed. My dad essentially just pushed it down to such a degree where I, I would be fearful of speaking up. Certainly anything that sounded defiant, I would have never dared to do that. And here I was unconsciously trying to create the same squashing in his voice. And when I caught that, I was like, wow, I am so grateful I haven't yet squashed his voice because I want to raise a boy that is able to speak his truth in a respectful way. But I don't want to get what I want to get from squashing it and silencing him. My main objective is not him listening to me. My main objective is to raise a kid where I have a great relationship with him and he learns how to be respectful. I tell you, the moment I became aware of that, I realized how little I was listening to him. I realized that those situations, which happened often, they weren't as deadly as I was perceiving them to be. He really wasn't hitting his sister. They were roughhousing and they were having a hard time. Sometimes they needed my intervention. Most of the times they didn't. But I started paying more attention and listening more to him than just having my agenda of being listened to. And like magic, I, I, it's surprising. He just stopped being defiant. It's been eight years eight, nine years. I don't remember a single time that he's been defiant ever since. And it was this moment where he, where he sort of looked at me and we had this dance already and I wasn't dancing the dance that he was used to dancing where I become the authoritarian oppressor. And he, he got it. And I had a conversation with him and I said, did you notice how this, I did it differently? He's like, yeah. And, and, you know, and I said, well, you know, it's still important to me that you speak your voice and let's find a way for you to do it in a way that feels respectful and nice to me. I was like, okay. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I cut that. Yeah. That's, that's extremely impressive. You know, it's, it's, I, I saw this video a while ago and it was a, a father and daughter and uh, she was doing um, like cheer and he's throwing her up and up and they were all, all rehearsing for quite some time. You could just tell they looked a little tired and they're on this mat on the sidewalk, you know, just in case she falls so she doesn't get hurt. And, you know, they're doing in the midst of this routine, everything's going, you know, perfect as intended. And she slips and she falls and she hits a mat, but she doesn't like hit it hard and she starts crying. And so the dad leans over and says, you know, are, are you all right? She goes, yeah. And he goes, you're, you're crying though. She goes, I messed up. I made a mistake. Like I failed. He's like that. That is not a big deal. This is, this is how we're going to get this, this routine down. And I thought, what a remarkable moment between two human beings, especially one developing that's in the sponge stage, as I would call it, that, hey, it's okay to make mistakes. And there's this uh, amazing book called Brave New Work. And one of the things it talks about is the traditional education system that we have and that most students you know, maybe not in more of a, a public setting, maybe not, I couldn't speak for, you know, maybe 
uh, a private setting or anything like that or homeschool, but most students in a public setting are reprimanded for making mistakes. Like you did a bad job. That's not what we have to do. Or here's an F rather than enabling them to take initiative and lean into curiosity. And so certainly not pushing blame on, you know, one thing, as you were alluding to earlier, to accepting of, of not playing that, that victim mentality. But, you know, I'm really curious of part of that too in development is not only some of these lessons that you just deployed right there, which, you know, I would have never thought about it that way, but to this stage, the sponge stage of also the way we're, we're kind of taught, right? That this is the regiment, this is the routine, this is the kind of the boxes that we check, that it's so easy naturally for us to get into adulthood and then fall into that thing. Well, I'm going to work at a nine to five for, you know, the next 50 years of my life. Eventually I'll retire at 65. And then, you know, when I barely can walk at 80, then I'll start traveling the world. It's like, whoa, that seems really backwards to me. That's, that's remarkable. I, I, I love that. That was a really great story. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, of course. And I, and I love the story of the, of the girl that was doing the flips the one of the things that's been interesting for me as a as a parent is that i noticed that a lot of the things that i did with my kids were very selfish so in that example if my kid fails at something i was very quick to tell them because they'd be sad they they or they'd be down on themselves it was very quick to tell them no 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 but it's okay because we kind of like what this dad did which i think is incredibly valuable it's a huge step up from uh, you failed, you're worthless. <laughs> it's like, this is part of the journey. It's the growth mindset that we've all been sort of indoctrinated with, which is incredible. One of the things I realized is I was uncomfortable with my children's discomfort. And I was really quick to be protagonistic in their experience. She falls. She's a little bit hard on herself. And I'm quick to say, don't be hard on yourself. This is part of the process. We try again. It's okay. You can get up. And it wasn't that bad. It's the equivalent of boys don't cry, which we now know is, you know, crazy. But when we essentially tell them, don't be disappointed because you did something wrong. Everybody fails. It's part of the process. We're subtly saying what you're feeling right now is not okay. And that's been huge for me because it is very uncomfortable to see your children having a difficult time. But to be present enough to honor whatever their experience is and say, oh, you're, you're bummed that you fell, huh? Ah, to have someone meet you in those deep emotions that, you, that we're sometimes feeling. And then it's like, okay, what feels right now? What's, what do we do now? And maybe if they say, I want to give up, then it, then, then it's a little coaching that comes in. It's like, well, no, this, you know, this is how we grow. But I think we, we, we underestimate our kids' capacity because one of those rails that we fall into is don't feel. There are these emotions that are okay to feel, but there are all these other emotions which we should avoid at all costs. The bags of shit. And you're 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 taking away that experience and the ability for them to have such a natural thing that they should be feeling. Right? They're they're I don't I don't rarely use the word entitlement, but that is something that we're entitled to, those emotions, those those feelings. The, the moment that we're going through, because those inevitably are what led us to our findings. 
And then there's this double sandwich of don't feel bad and on top of the, the, the mistake that you think you made. And now it's like overwhelming almost to a point. I just imagine the emotional roller coaster. I was like, I fell, shoot, terrible. Don't feel terrible. Feel good. Okay, you need to rub it up to you. Now, okay, now I need to impress him. Now I need to make sure that I don't feel sad the next time. No, it just, it, it, and it's very innocent as parents when we do that. But, um, but I think there's a different way. That's perfect. I love that. This is this has been great. How um I'm curious. So this is your first book, correct? Yeah. And how would you describe this this journey of becoming an author and writing this book? How has that journey been for you? All the people that I mentor, what I've come to realize is that we're all very similar. And our life circumstances and our particular stories are very different, but but the things that we navigate and the tools that can help us navigate those situations are relatively similar. So I was getting a lot of feedback from these individuals saying, you need to share this with more people. And that's really the, the only reason why I <laughs> committed to writing the book. I'm, I'm a procrastinator and I'm a, become a really good delegator in my life. I have lots of businesses and, and they're all pretty well delegated now. Uh, so I, I plug in as necessary. And I realized that if I was going to write a book, I needed to delegate this out. So I was able to get someone to just hold me accountable and interview me and say, okay, what are we going to write about? And, and that became really uh, the way that I knew how to work through my own uh, weaker muscles. If you may. Mm. And the, this process of sharing like we are doing right now is you know, I'm not the outward social media personality that is doing all. So it's been a stretch, but I realize how much value there is and how much I would have loved to hear this when I was starting out in my journey, whether you call it self-growth or spiritual journey. or Because I always thought that the level of inner peace that I was hoping for was not really viable. I would have never imagined that how I live my life today was possible uh, unless I was willing to give everything up and go live in some monastery. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into understanding the mystery of you with Emilio Diaz Barroso. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the motivated underscore mind and on Facebook at the motivated mind podcast. Don't forget to join me every Every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. I love you all and thanks so much for listening. Motivated Mind is a legacy division.